an hour of truth for the battered but proud people of the Empire State. From the financial and entertainment epicenter of New York City to the sleeping and empty small cities and towns of upstate, which once bustled with manufacturing, mining, and farming. We all know from inspiration, history, and nature, we deserve a return to the success and growth of generations past, a birthright being squandered by corruption in Albany, and the depredations of an insecure, scheming mountebank posing as governor, who loathes both us and himself. As liberty beckoned to enslaved peoples behind the Iron Curtain via American broadcasts after World War II, we now say, believe, rise, and join us. Welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey guys, welcome to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and we've got Kevin Wilson here with us again today. Yeah, here on a Wednesday, which is on weird. On a Wednesday. Yeah, yeah, it is weird, but we are just having such a great discussion yesterday that that would be cool to just have you on again today so we could kind of carry on the discussion because I think the events that happened over the weekend and that are continuing to happen uh, warrant more than just an hour of discussion for one day of the week. Yeah. We uh, now plenty to talk about. There's there's a lot of issues to cover, and even though we have an hour show, it's hard to to pack all those into that that short amount of time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, absolutely. And so today we're going to talk about a couple things that uh, I I would love to have feedback from each of you, you know, and and kind of tell us what your thoughts are, what your feelings are with these topics, um, because there's some serious stuff going on right now. And the first topic I want to address uh, comes from our our good friend, Joe Biden. Um, Reason Magazine actually ran an article that says, oh, he finally admitted that libertarians were right all along. And uh, which which is very snarky. I I enjoy it. I I think that's great. Um, I'm going to actually still disagree with him on on some of this, but but we'll get there. Um, so let's, let's just kind of roll it out. Kevin, I don't know if you want to start or I can carry it on. You, you let me know. Yeah. So, so the basic overview of what, uh, former vice president Joe Biden said was that they need to increase oversight and accountability and stop transferring weapons of war to police forces, which is great. Libertarians have said that. Uh, so that's, you know, I don't know if this is a, a broken clock type of thing, or I think Reason called them a rusty weather vane. Um, there you go. <laughs> fair. <laughs> yep. um, so Joe Biden is now trying to undo all of the work he did in the 90s <laughs> right now, because let, let's let's remember that um, in 1997, he was one of the biggest pushers for the uh, National Defense Authorization Act that helped uh, create the 1033 program, which transfers uh, military surplus over to law enforcement and makes it easy for them to get these uh, weapons of war that Joe Biden's trying to say we get off the street. And he was also part of the infamous 1994 uh, crime bill as well, which uh, increased the war on drugs, escalated the war on drugs, and created uh, some of the negative policing situations that we have today. Yeah, and, and he also pushed pretty hard for mandatory minimums 
and yep. and help kind of create that legislation and that's another bit of legislation he's starting to walk back on he is starting to walk back on a lot of the stuff that he put together in the 90s and and even if you look back to the 80s i mean he was your quote-unquote tough on crime guy uh, which is interesting because you you normally hear like Republicans and conservatives say we need to be tough on crime. Well, Joe Biden was actually the he guy was, pushing tough on crime. He was that guy. He, yeah, he was sure. that guy. Yeah, and and now you see him walking back on these issues. Um, he even said I think it was last week or the week before in an interview that doing mandatory minimums and taking away. Um, the ability for judges to have discretion in cases uh, hurt communities of color, hurt minorities, made things significantly worse when they were trying to fix things. Um, so I think we're in an interesting situation where Biden is realizing he can't double down on just being wrong. And so now he has to change his direction, which I, I think is a great thing. I it, yeah. it's not enough, but no. but it's it's a great start. It's a it's a start moving in the right direction to say, okay, crap, yeah, big government is wrong. We're using government force wrong. These policies had terrible unintended consequences, and it's just not working. We got to fix it. We got to make it better. Yeah, and I mean, uh, like, was Biden the one who said the super predators thing? Was he was he one of the people mm, talking about that? I, I don't recall. I can't remember now. Yeah. But he did talk about predators on the street and everything. You know, again, I I'm curious if if the Democrats, or particularly the folks who are out like protesting right now, are going to uh, hold him to account for the terrible policies that again resulted in the the escalation of militarized police tactics that we see today. Like, are, are people still going to vote for him anyway? I suspect yes. Oh, I'm sure they will. And, I, I and mean, that here, bums me out. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's the reality. I mean, the policies that he pushed for decade after decade are, are what have kept minorities locked up in prisons for nonviolent crimes. And this is just publicly available knowledge. They're voting for him anyways. I, I yeah. don't think that this is like the straw that breaks the camel's back for that segment of the population. No, should be. <laughs> I wish it was. Yeah, no, I, I no, wish I mean... it was. I, I wish they would be like, wow, we just realized how bad the Democrats have really been. They say they're for social justice and equal justice, and instead they've done the exact opposite, and their policies have hurt minority communities and locked up minorities disproportionately. <laughs> And made things much worse on these communities. We should never vote for them again. But yeah. it's not Joe Biden happen. was the architect, one of the architects of mass incarceration. Again, yeah. he was the cause of this, and now he's going to stand up. And he's he's talking about like how he's going to like fix racism, fix systematic racism when he becomes president. Dude, you you again, you were a senator for thirty years, and you were vice president for eight yeah. years. Yeah. What what were you doing? Yeah, but it, you know, and this is something I have. This is an issue I have with any career politician, somebody who's been in office for years and years and years, decades on decades, people in Congress, people like Governor Cuomo, people in our state legislature who have just kind of moved around from position to position. And each time they run and they campaign on how they're going to fix things, it's like you had your chance 
You've yeah. been in charge this whole time. How is this time going to be any different? And sure enough, they get elected. Nothing changes. Yeah, it's so disappointed. Um, and by the way, I, I, I got corrected online for thank you online listeners who said uh, Hillary Clinton was the one who said super predators. So, you know, another establishment hack who is one of the root causes of many of the criminal justice system problems that we have today. Yeah. And yet, yeah, no, absolutely. So, so I will um, throw this out here, and we might not have enough time to discuss it thoroughly before the break, but I'm, I'm going to throw it out here and say that Joe Biden is still wrong. And that reason is in the right direction, but, but not, I'm not in full agreement of them. I personally don't care if the military wants to sell their quote-unquote weapons of war to law enforcement. I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with is that the general public is excluded from those purchases. That's what I have a problem with. And so you're, you're just mad you can't get an MRAP. <laughs> yeah, well, so... so that's, but, that's really but, what, what Andrew's yeah. objection to this is. He's like, <laughs> I want my own MRAP. <laughs> exactly. No, no, here's, here's my argument for this. The, our Constitution was written that our government should not have uh, more firepower than the people. So if government feels that this firepower is too dangerous for the average citizen to have, then government needs to cease using it themselves. And that, that is the policy that I will push for. I, I was on another radio station that some people would consider kind of liberal, and they tried to back me in a corner and, and try to get me to justify legalization of anything. And I fall back on this every time. If you truly believe then NRAP is too dangerous for your neighbor to have, or a fully automatic machine gun is too dangerous for your neighbor to have, then you need to lobby that the police and military can't have it either. There, there should be no exceptions. Right. And I know some people, people like think, yeah, yeah. So I, and I know some people think, oh, no, that's, that's not it. They have special training, this and that. The average police officer gets less than 300 rounds a year for training 300 rounds a year i can tell you and i i've done quite a bit of training i i do that in like an hour when we're at the range <laughs> you know so so this whole idea that there's extra training special training that it's available to anybody it's a different type of training but that it's it's not a valid excuse and i would go as far to say no special license no special fees none of that a Nick's background check, that's it. And I think the people should get the preference over law enforcement because it was our money used to purchase the equipment in the first place. So I'll let you guys ponder that. <laughs> see how you feel about it. Let Kevin see how he feels about it. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. We'll discuss it a little further. You guys are listening to Radio Free New York. We'll be back in a moment. listening to Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. We've got Kevin Wilson here with us. And uh, just before we hit the break, I, I, I put out my radical opinion 
which is that the American people should be able to own whatever the government owns. There, there shouldn't be a barrier. There shouldn't be a divide. Uh, there shouldn't be special fees or special licensing. Um, I could be persuaded to keep the NIC system around, but for the most part, you know, if, if the military is going to use hardware that they deem appropriate for the government to have, civilians should have the opportunity to bid on and purchase that hardware when the military is done using it. I, I think that that is the intent of the founding fathers when they wrote the Second Amendment. And I did have a listener actually send me a message who said, you know, another barrier to our rights and our liberties is when the government does require some level of training before you can have access to a firearm or a gun, because that, that puts especially the economically disadvantaged people um, in a situation where they just simply can't afford to have access to the rights. And government does this. They do this with like the NFA, where they say, sure, you can have this piece of hardware, if you can afford a $200 stamp for it, or even look at pistol permits in New York State, you know, you have to come up with, I think it's $129 to apply for your New York State pistol permit, at least in Monroe County. So if you're, if you don't have that money, the thing standing between you and your rights is a fee to the government to process paperwork that shouldn't even exist. And this prevents people who don't have money from having access to their rights. Yeah, or what they do is they, they say, okay, I can't afford this, but I need to protect myself. I'm desperate. You know, I'm worried about my own personal safety. And then they they go and they, they get a gun illegally because it turns out, you know, that's possible that even if you make laws against it, you can still go and, and get a firearm in the black market. It's probably way cheaper, too. I mean, it's probably way cheaper, too, and probably a lot more fun, to be honest. So government's <laughs> not uh, government's not doing themselves any favors by creating these barriers to people's rights. And I know that sounds radical, and I know it sounds scary. Um, I'm sure when the Founding Fathers were talking about this idea of a Bill of Rights in our Constitution, that that sounded radical and scary then, too. Absolutely. I mean, uh, so I'm, I'm skeptical. To, to me, I think we should end the 1033 program. I think the, the incentives are bad. Uh, I would rather the local police departments not have this stuff. Uh, I think there's a philosophy that if you, you come hard, you're going to get a hard response. And that if you have, you know, what, what basically amounts to, it's not, it's not a tank, but people kind of colloquially refer to things as a tank. or And you have a bunch of riot gear. and you, Not that you shouldn't have that stuff. Uh, riot gear necessarily but when you have all this stuff you want to use it and what do people use it on or where do police departments use it on they they use it on uh, okay now every single drug raid is a late night no-knock raid because they come in with enough hardware they think to, to overcome any target instead of trying different ways of policing you know they escalate the response and the violence of the war on drugs yeah, and, and I'll, I'll tell you, I saw a picture, I think it was yesterday or the day before. It might have been on the Town of Greece Facebook page. It was a, a decked-out Hummer for Greece police, you know, all yeah. blacked out with Greece police on it. And, you know, that just gave me a really bad feeling. And, and, it's, and I have nothing against the police. I, I don't want anybody to sit here and think that, like, 
as they're listening to the show that I'm anti-law enforcement. That's not the case. I, I have serious issues with the system that our politicians have created and the position that they've put our law enforcement in. And I, I want to make sure that that's really clear because our law enforcement are just people like you or I. But they're they're stuck in this kind of rigid system that allows for, um, not even allows for it almost encourages abuse, and and I truly believe that the way some of this stuff is set up, not all of it, but some of it, it puts good people in a really bad situation. Yeah, I agree, <laughs> and you know, again, we have a lot of bad incentives and. Uh... Excuse the background noise for those of you listening at home. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, I, I just wanted to get that out there. And and some of you might be sitting here and thinking, Andrew, do you, does that mean that, like, you'd be okay with, with somebody buying a machine gun? And uh, Andrew, what about say, tactical nukes? Tactical nukes. So here we go. I love that because that's that's what they, they try <laughs> when, back. When we get the McNukes. Yeah, the McNukes. So here's the thing. If you think that private citizens shouldn't own nuclear warheads, we should be questioning whether or not governments should be owning nuclear warheads either. That's that's my philosophy. If you think it's dangerous enough that the average Joe shouldn't have it, should we be allowing government, who's just ran by other people who are just average Joe, should, should they have it? And my answer is no. My answer is no. And and you may say, oh, that's that's naive. There's always going to be bad people out there. Yeah, there's enough nukes out there to, like, destroy the Earth, like, a hundred times over. Does Do we really need that? Does any government really need that? I, I don't think so. I, I think that uh, that is part of the reason why we have these these wars and everything which the libertarian position is very anti-war in case you guys didn't know <laughs> so you know for for anybody who's listening to say wow it sounds like you're talking about world peace uh, yeah i don't think we're gonna get there but i'd love to see that happen i would yeah. love to see it happen absolutely and, and and having governments with weapons that can kill indiscriminately non-combatants yeah, I think it's worth a discussion whether or not that should be happening at all. Yeah, and then and then whether or not it should transfer into, you know, stateside, what, whether or not yeah. that should be actively being purchased and used by government agencies within the United States borders. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't know. I'm still on the, the side of probably disarm the government. Disarm the government. There you go. Yeah. Uh, well, that that was the original thing, right? That yeah. that was the idea that the average person was armed, and when it came time to defend things, uh, people would come up out of their homes, volunteer, and you know, yeah. fight to protect the nation. Right. And I mean, what, what what's interesting is like when, when you look at early discussions of like what the Second Amendment is and what it's about. It was as much a um, declaration of a, a right, like a, a codification of. A right you already had and a restriction on government as it was like a sense of duty and responsibility to protect your community too yeah yeah because that's that's again how you know particularly scattered settler towns and in the united states would defend themselves and it was built off of the concept of in england for a while much of the population was armed until 
the king suddenly decided that that presented a threat to his rule, and he took that right away. Yeah, yeah. And that's why we weren't supposed to have a federal army to begin with. No standing army. That, that's why it was meant to be militias of the people, each state having their own militia. And just think about how world would be totally different right now if if we were still in that situation. U.S. government decides they want to go to war with whatever country or whatever ideology. And some states say, yeah, we're going to send our people. And other states say, that's not a worthy cause. We are not going to send our people. Imagine how different that would be. Imagine what wars we may have never gotten into had we still kept that model that the Founding Fathers originally designed. We'd probably see a lot less death. We'd probably be involved in a lot less wars. And, you know, who knows? Maybe history wouldn't be better for it. I I can't say whether it would or wouldn't, um, but I think we would be much more cautious about the conflicts that our country entered, if that's the um, process that we had. And and at least we have an all-volunteer military at this point, which is uh, a good development. But, you know, I I think this does lead to the question that I think we're going to be talking about for the second half of this show, is that now that we have a a standing army, when and how is it ever used to uh, keep peace domestically? Yeah. Yeah, and, and I tell you, and I think I mentioned this during yesterday's show, that I've had veterans who have come back from Iraq and Afghanistan who have said that the rules of engagement over there are so much more strict than the rules are for law enforcement to follow here with U.S. citizens. So it'll be kind of interesting to see, does that change? Does that get talked about? Yeah. I don't know. We'll talk about it, that's for sure. So, all right, guys, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about that. Can the U.S. military operate on U.S. soil? Is, is that okay? And then should they? And why would they? We'll talk about that more when we come back on Radio Free New York. Listening to Radio Free New York. All right, we're back. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister, and Kevin Wilson's here with us on Radio Free New York. Hello. Howdy. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, U.S. troops on U.S. soil. It doesn't come up too often, but it's come up, it uh, looks like maybe about 18 different times in history. And I, I'm not sure. Where, where do we want to start on this? Do we want to start with Insurrection Act? Should we start with... Well, let's get some context. Why are we talking about this, Andrew? Well, I have a quote here from President Trump who says, If the nation's governors don't call up National Guard troops to dominate the streets, I will deploy the United States military and quickly solve the problem for them. So... This is starting to prompt a lot of questions. People are saying, wait, can the U.S. military act on U.S. soil? Does the president have the power to have the military 
act on U.S. soil? Can can they act as law enforcement? Um, the, these, I think, are, are a lot of questions that people have, and I think it's valid that we we find out the answer and talk about it. Yeah. So so we'll talk about, I guess, like legally and constitutionally, can they do this? And then is it a good idea? Yeah, yeah, because just because you should doesn't mean or just because you can doesn't mean you should. And I I do want to start. I guess we're going to start with Insurrection Act. It came first anyways. So the Insurrection Act of 1807. And I just want to put this out here, how absolutely ironic it is that the United States was born out of rebellion. We, we literally had a war. We fought for our freedom. We broke free of Britain. We set up our own government. And one of the first things that happened, not one of the first, but, but barely 20, 30 years later, we pass a law that allows the government to use military force against its citizens if they rise against them. Yeah. Well, Andrew, to be clear, too, uh, federal troops had been used against domestic rebellions in George Washington's day. He the, the whiskey rebellion. He, he, yeah. He, he yep. sent in, yeah. He sent in uh, the army to go and uh, crush uh, a rebellion of people who are like, wait, we thought we were going to pay taxes now. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. No, now yeah, you're making so pay whiskey true. taxes. Our corn ain't going to be good otherwise. Screw this. We're just going <laughs> to rebel. Yeah. Yeah. So, so right off the right out of the gate, you know, our our country, we started, we we fought off our oppressors. We started our own government and we're like, "Wait, wait, wait. We can't let this happen though. We we can't let somebody else, you know, decide that we're tyrannical. Uh let's let's make sure this is legal that way if we need to, we can." And it's been used a number of times throughout history. Yeah. So, the Insurrection Act, when when can it be used? So it's meant to be used when states are not able to or refuse to enforce the law, and it's used to quell widespread public unrest to support civilian law enforcement. But before it can be called, the president must first call for the quote-unquote insurgents to disperse. Um, If stability isn't restored after that call, then the president can issue an executive order and they can, in fact, deploy the troops. Oh, (laughs) all right. I might have lost Kevin there. I'm not sure. No, uh, my door got open for some reason. (laughs) My bad. Um, But yeah, so they they can do that. They can suppress civil disorder, insurrection, rebellion. Um, Now, the issue that always comes up related to this, too, is how does this relate to the uh, Posse Comitatus Act? Yes, how, yes. So that, that one, I, I got to hold on. Let me, let me pull this one up again here. Um, here we go. So, so it outlaws the willful use of any part of the Army or Air Force to execute the law unless expressly authorized by the Constitution or an act of Congress. So here's here's where I believe these two conflict. Where where it conflicts is the this idea that the Insurrection Act is meant to be used when law enforcement isn't acting and when the state government isn't 
requiring law enforcement to enforce the law. At least that's my understanding. And if you're listening to the show and you feel differently about it or have additional information, um, please comment or call in. The number is 585-346-3000. Once again, that's 585-346-3000. But, but that's my understanding. That's where some of this controversy is happening because what I'm seeing people say is, hey, the governor's are sending out law enforcement. They are asking people to abide by the law. They are enforcing the law. And therefore, the Insurrection Act um, can't come into place because they're not refusing to enforce the law. Right. So that that right there is, um, is at least some of the conflict that I'm starting to see. And I believe there's, there's always the option for the governors to request help from the president, and that doesn't appear to be happening either. Yeah, that, that's what I was going to say, too, is that, like, it's different. If the governor requests support from the federal government, like, that's legal to come in. for it. They can come in and help bring in National Guard troops uh, from other states, things like that, and, uh, and provide assistance for, uh, you know, kind of law and order purposes. And then the, the Posse Comitatus Act, the reason why it was passed was because in the Reconstruction period, the uh, Union Army was used as law enforcement in the you know the the former confederate states mm -hmm. uh so that's that's kind of why that was passed and it was probably necessary during that period given the violent insurrection you know led by you know the the like the clan and, and similar groups but yeah it is a, a dangerous thing long term to have the military acting as police you know um when the military acts as police is too long, you know, they, they see the people as enemies of the people. That, that's that's enemies of the state. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, you, you end up with a lot of abusive situations. And so we're looking at the situation right now where, where President Trump is threatening to use the, the U.S. military to uh, keep the peace in places like New York, around here. Uh, you know, I don't know rochester area specifically but but generally uh right now the u.s military is able to go into dc because it's not a state they can go into yep. dc and they can uh, do the thing so that's why you'll see some great pictures of uh not great but like humvees pulling out in front of um like the libertarian cato institute so they're mm. surrounded by humvees in, in downtown washington dc it's uh quite just a... trying to keep all the liberty in kevin they don't want to escape yes just they, they're they're protecting our liberty mm. Yes, yeah. that's it. But, you know, you'll see that out there, the military police, um, and they're assisting the park police in, uh, if you're being generous about it, uh, making sure that protests don't, don't turn violent. If you're not being generous about it, they, they didn't tear gas, they just pepper-balled um, peaceful protesters so President Trump could take a uh, photo in front of uh, St. John's Church. Uh, and they they assisted with clearing the protesters out of that. Uh, the Aust Australian media is pretty upset about it because they hit a cameraman live on video while they're doing their broadcast. Oh, I um, did not see that. Oh yeah, no, that's no. see, Andrew, this is what you missed out by not spending ten hours a day scrolling the internet. I I know, you know, I've I've been I've tried to keep myself somewhat disconnected especially to keep all the disinformation out of there because the media is just full of so much garbage 
I try not to let it uh, get to me, weigh me down. I try to go out and just find the information myself. So sometimes Uh-oh. I get to miss things like camera people being hit by uh, pepper balls. No, uh, watching the internet, watching Twitter and Facebook right now is being hit. It's like being hit by like a garbage-filled fire hose. That's, mm. that's what it is. Just just dirty water at you. Yeah, you got yeah. to sort through the good nuggets. Yeah, there you go. Well, you know, one of the things um, that we can talk about, we'll, we'll talk about this uh, after our break, is this idea that if the military steps into law enforcement, what what rules of engagement do they follow? Because like I said before, the, some of my friends who are veterans said that they had to treat people significantly better with, with more rights and they had to be a lot more careful with them than law enforcement have to be here stateside. So I, I think it's an interesting question to ask. Like if, if we're following military rules of engagement, would some of these issues go away or would it just get way worse? So we'll talk about that when we come back. A break. You're listening to Radio Free New York. Radio Free New York. All right. Welcome back to Radio Free New York. I'm your host, Andrew Hollister. I've got Kevin Wilson with me. And we're just talking about this, this idea that U.S. troops could be used as law enforcement. It's been done before. This has happened a number of times in U.S. history, most recently um, in 1992 with the L.A. riots after four white police officers were acquitted in the beating of Rodney King. Riots ensued. U.S. military was used to restore order. Kevin, do you think if the U.S. military takes over law enforcement, do you think that's going to make things better, worse, indifferent, the same? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you're not wrong to say that the the rules of engagement for um, the U.S. military are much different. So it would be interesting to see, you know, do they approach protesters and de-escalate situations with greater professionalism? You know, I think particularly with uh, people who are experienced, it, it may be a good thing. And I would be very curious, too, how they stand with law enforcement in those situations um, and whether or not they, you know, kind of restrain local law enforcement from uh, going beyond uh, where they ought to go. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like we've got Eric on the line from Allegheny. Eric, welcome to Radio Free New York. Hey, guys, you're doing a great job. And I just wanted to add something to the conversation. Um what you were discussing as far as posse comitatus and the lawful authority of the president and what the governors can do as far as marshalling troops against the people and all these things would be applicable if we were under a lawful government. And I'm going to make the case that we are not. And the whole genesis of the problem takes place as soon as a governing entity or agency files letters of incorporation. This is not a minor technical detail for the CPAs and the attorneys. This is not a game changer. It's a game ender. As soon as any government, federal, any of the states, almost all the counties nationwide, and most of the municipalities are incorporated. And as soon as they file those letters of incorporation, they cease and desist functioning as a lawful government. Because what happens is, as a corporation, they're operating under the Uniform Commercial Code, or UCC law, where we're supposed to be, if a government was just a governing agency not incorporated, 
they'd be under, we would be under, constitutional and common law. So instead of constitutional common law, we've been usurped by incorporation into commercial uh, UCC law, and now the United States military is nothing more than a mercenary army for the U.S. corporation. And it's, it's so it's, if we were under a lawful government, I would agree that these lawful powers may at certain times be appropriate, but right now they're not at all. So a solution, people need to start focusing on their jural assembly. And what is the jural assembly? J-U-R-A-L. It is the lawful land jurisdiction government that was usurped by all these state and federal corporations. Now, Governor Cuomo is not really a governor. He's the CEO of this corporation called Eric, the State of New York, and he's nothing more than a... Like, Eric, the I think CEO you're, we're, we're diving down quite a rabbit hole here, and I think he, we have a short amount of time for you to give a lot of context. I think that we've given... I think you've given our listeners a, a lot to, to research and a lot to look into, and I, I think we can look into that. Andrew, you have anything to add? Yeah, no, this is actually really interesting. So, Eric, if you don't mind sending me some of this information, we could we could probably do a show about this, I think. Well, that um, but yeah, I, that I think Kevin's good. right. We've only got a few minutes left on air. Right. I didn't mean to go too far down the rabbit hole, but we I, I wanted to at least start getting the ball rolling towards explanations of why the government's not lawful and what we can do to remedy that situation. So thanks for the time, and we'll catch you guys on the rebound. All right. Thank you very much, Eric. Take care now. Yeah, um, there's there, there's a whole lot to that, and you know we'll, we'll have to to look up some of that stuff later. Uh, you know, because I I do want to talk about you know again whether it's a good idea, whether it makes sense uh, to to call out the, the U.S. Army in this situation. And I do want to point out that the Secretary of Defense or the the, the Defense Secretary Mark Esper um, said that he doesn't support this. He says that. Uh, and I'll quote him now. I've always believed and continue to believe that the National Guard is best suited performing domestic support to civilian authorities in these situations in support of local law enforcement. I say this not only as Secretary of Defense, but also as a former soldier and a former member of the National Guard. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire situations. We are not in one of those support er, situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. There you go. So, it, Donald Trump's own uh, uh, Secretary of Defense uh, opposes using that. And I think I agree with him here. It's, again, this is a last resort type of situation. I think that a lot of the stuff that is happening, there's a few bad actors who are trying to take advantage of a bad situation. There are police officers who are exacerbating situations in, in, in some cities that they, they are the ones who are, in fact, provoking the violence. In, in escalating tensions instead of de-escalating. And between the local police, state police, and the National Guard, my goodness, we should be able to keep these things under control. And again, it, it's it's both a catching the bad actors who want to cause trouble and making sure that law enforcement is restrained in how they respond to protests. And bringing in the Army escalates the situation. And again, it's not, it's not a matter of, of saying that they wouldn't act appropriately or they wouldn't do a good job. It escalates the situation intentionally. And I think it's, it's shocking to me how many people, and I'm sorry, guys, you know, it may be some of you listening, too, who are, have been telling me that, that tyranny is coming for years and years, and we have a 
a president who wants to send in the U.S. military to essentially occupy American cities and your support of that. Like, it, it frustrates me to see so many people who, who recognize government tyranny in so many instances and aren't, aren't recognizing it here. Again, it's not a matter of disparaging the, the U.S. military. I just don't think that's an appropriate response to send the U.S. military into American cities. Yeah, and I, I think that um, what, what Kevin's getting at here is there have been a number of times where, you know, I'll, I'll say the Second Amendment community has called out the government on tyranny and said, oh, no, the government's going to send in troops. They're going to enact martial law. They're going to get state police and local police and National Guard all together to, you know, corral the people and and occupy our state, our town, our county, our whatever, um, that seem to be really excited about the president deploying the troops oh. and and maybe they're just not seeing the connection there that it's it's the same thing and how do you think any uprising of civil unrest would be treated differently you know those yeah. who maybe sit there and go yeah once the government you know they get too tyrannical i'm gonna stand up i'm gonna take it on this line yeah yeah no, this line well, that keeps moving you know that yeah, line. when we when <laughs> american cities get turned into like afghanistan like is 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 that the line like i mean honestly like we, why on earth would we support the u.s military doing that and it, it's going to be interesting to see if uh you know active service members are going to obey orders in that in yeah. that situation too you know again i i can't imagine uh, hopefully no active service member would obey an order to fire on American citizens. But again, you, you create situations where it escalates tensions uh, and you create more opportunities for that type of uh, incident to happen. So, Kevin, we've got like 60 seconds less left. Do you think that Trump's going to do this? Do you think he's going to bring in the troops? Or is it just strongman tactic? He's he's trying to come in as, as hard as he possibly can with that, you know, business negotiation mindset, and it's just uh, just a bluff. I mean, 75% chance it's all bluff and bluster, like, because yeah. that's what he does, um, which is which is frustrating. I, I don't, again, I, I said this last week, too, don't, don't come in with bluff and bluster. Come in, like, trying to solve the actual problems. And, you know, his kind of default response is always to like, oh, we're going to meet this with overwhelming force. That's not always the best tool for every situation, particularly when the protests are about the use of overwhelming force. Yeah, 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 no, for sure. All right. Well, ho hopefully we don't have to find out what that looks like. You know, one of the things I, I really think about is if, if people saw American troops coming down, you know, either A, it looks like a parade and people are excited and happy with the parade or B it looks terrifying and scary and people live in fear. And as American citizens, we should not be living in fear and we should definitely not be living in fear of our government. Guys, you're listening to radio free New York. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back same time, same place tomorrow. <laughs>